0: It's time, time for stimulating talk, time for thought-provoking conversation, time for the Lisa Wexler Show on On WICC's 600 600 AM and 107.3 FM.
1: Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. (laughs) Hey, what are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? You want to get mixed up in the family business. Now you want to gun down a police captain because he slapped you in the face a little bit. Huh? What do you think? This is the army where you shoot him a mile away. You got to get him close like this. You blow their brains all over your nice cyber League suit. Come in. So,
2: James Kahn in an unforgettable scene from The Godfather. Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello. Lots going on on our show today. I'll give you a quick, a quick wrap up of what's happening or a quick quick summary of what's coming up. My sister, Jill Zarin, coming on at 1030, where we will enter the realm of pop culture and talk about the Ultimate Girls Trip and the Real Housewives. At 1015, first select woman, Brenda Kupchuk of the town of Fairfield coming on to talk with us and answer your questions about charter revision and beaches and whatever else is on your mind. Uh, we are also going to have Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz on in the next hour, and we'll wrap it up at 1130 with David Friedman and the kindness of strangers, which depends upon you to tell us your stories of when strangers were kind in your life. 203-333-9422 is our number. But I just had to begin with a, with a tribute to James Kahn and a little bit of conversation about him. James Kahn, obviously Sonny Corleone, the great one of the greatest portrayals of one of the most real characters ever to burst from the silver screen. I just have to tell you stuff about Jimmy Conn that you didn't know. First of all, he died at 82, and we don't know why. They have not disclosed what he died from, but he did pass away. He was born in the Bronx. This is, for me, this was a surprise. I assumed because, I think because of Sonny Corleone and the other roles that he played, including honeymoon in Vegas and Las Vegas and a lot of other roles, that he was an Italian guy. James Conn, C-A-A-N. What do I know? I thought he was an Italian guy. turned out he was a Jewish guy. He thought it was funny his whole life how people thought that he was Italian, but he did hang around with people, including one of the big mobsters who was the godfather to one of his own kids. He had a lot of children. I think he had at least five, maybe six. And uh, he was married four times. He was born in the Bronx. His father was a kosher butcher. His mother was a homemaker. He was first-generation American immigrant. They both came, one, I think, from Poland, one from Germany. And, um, And he made his way growing up in New York. He started at Michigan State because he was hoping to be a football player there, but he didn't make the team, so he transferred to Hofstra University in Hempstead, where guess who was his college mate at Hofstra? None other than Francis Corleone, not Corleone, Francis um, Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola went to Hofstra. I didn't know that either. Anyway, he met Francis Ford Coppola there. They met each other. Talk about a fortuitous meeting. Because after Hofstra, James Kahn decided that he wanted to become an actor, and he went to Sanford Meisner's The Neighborhood Playhouse, and he started appearing in things. He loved theater. He loved everything. He was offered a starring role in a TV series in the 60s, and he was quoted as saying, I want to be an actor, not a millionaire. And he turned it down. Uh, Then eventually, he ended up with the great role of Sonny Corleone. He was in great demand for many years. Uh, He developed a cocaine habit, and he admitted to booze and drugs and women. That completely derailed him and found him broke, completely broke after a few years. He climbed his way back. You might remember that he was in Misery. He was in a lot of other good movies at that time. He got some very unusual roles. He'll still always be remembered as Sonny Corleone with that just unforgettable portrayal of a guy who seemed to climb out of his own body. And uh, he was beloved. He was really, people attached to him. People loved him. In his real life, he was also a champion martial arts person, and he mastered the rodeo. And he used to kid about himself as the only Jew who could compete in a rodeo competition doing calf roping. He was really something. He was a larger-than-life person off screen than on. The accolades are coming in. But, I mean, I think it's fair to say when we think about going to movies here in America that we all knew James Caan, just a giant, giant actor in the field of cinema. So we say rest in peace, Jimmy Khan. 203 9422 A shocking assassination this morning on uh, Shinzo Abe, the Japanese, former Japanese prime minister who was running for re-election, something to be back in the fray. He served in 2006 to 2007 and then again from 2012 to 2020, which was very long term, and he resigned because of ill health. Now, here it is, 2022, he was only 67 years old, and he was back there making speeches again. Just so you know how shocking this is, and you should see the picture yourself, it is such a shock that anybody would die by gun violence in Japan, that during all of 2021... Only 10 people in all of Japan died as a result of gun violence. That's a country of 124 million people. We are a country of 330 or so million people. Maybe we're creeping upwards, something more that. And how many incidents of gun violence do we hear of every day? 10 in a year. So I was looking at the pictures thinking, how did this guy get a gun? You've got to see the picture. He's got duct tape. Huge amounts of duct tape over a contraption that this guy managed to cobble together to be a gun. Obviously, he got gun parts, and he did it. 44 years old. uh, They found him. They got him. Uh, We don't know the motives, unknown. But, you know, it just reminds us all that you quite literally take your life in your hands if you want to lead. You do. Think about all the leaders that have been assassinated while leading. Not just Martin Luther King, Jr., Yitzhak Rabin in Israel. Uh, who else was I think? Gandhi? I mean so many people, almost I mean, just just the list goes on and on of people that spoke up, and in the middle of speaking in front of people, some jerk, some idiot, some crazy person, decides that they can take him out with a gun. And it is, you know, we have, a, we have a world of over seven plus billion people. But honestly, as a percentage of that, it's a teeny tiny statistical percentage of people who are ready, willing, and able to put their lives on the line, quite literally, for what they believe in, how they want to lead, whatever comes with it, the power or influence, which may be another motive. But you got to recognize, who else? Sadat, Anwar Sadat was killed. Abe Lincoln, well, he was watching a show. He was in the audience. But so many people in the middle of speaking up, just literally speaking up, assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy, it's just extraordinary. So anyway, two zero three 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 nine four two two. So here we are, and there it is, and um, we feel very shocked about this. It's just a shocking thing when a leader is assassinated. 203-333-9422. All right, so we're going to come back. We're going to chat with Brenda Kubchick. There's a lot going on locally that I really want to catch you up with. You're listening to WICC 600, your community radio station. The phones are always open. Anything in particular that's on your mind, you can always chat about at 203-333-9422. I'm Lisa Wexler. We'll be right back. It's a Friday. And welcome back to the show. Hello and good morning. Joining us now is Lieutenant Governor Susan Vaisowitz. And she is serving her first term as Connecticut's 109th Lieutenant Governor. Uh, She has a very illustrious career, having served the state of Connecticut as a state representative in the Assembly representing the towns of Middletown, Middlefield, and Durham. Uh, She has a very strong background uh, in law and advocacy for the people of the state of Connecticut. And I'm delighted to say that I keep bumping into her locally. Susan Bisewitz, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello. Hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me
0: on this beautiful summer day.
2: It is a beautiful day. You're a little bit crackly. I hope we have a good connection here. You're getting a little crackly. I,
0: I hope we, we do have a good connection.
2: Okay, let's see. Let's see how it goes. First of all, I'd like to know how you maintain that unbelievably tiny waistline. I have never seen a waistline in person. You know, you remind me of Scarlett O'Hara with the 17-inch waist and gone with the
0: wind. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's very that's very kind. Um, I uh, love to walk. I Well, first of all, I grew up on a farm, so I'm used to doing a lot of activity, and my husband and I walk five miles every night. So um, our neighbors think we're a little nuts because usually by the time I have the opportunity to walk, it's you know, nine o'clock at night, but I love to do that. I wanted to ask
2: you about growing up on a farm because my heart is always there, even though my physical strength is completely not. But I've always thought that I should have been a a farmer, and it's always been a dream of mine to still have Mm -hmm. livestock and animals, particularly goats. I don't know why I have an affinity for goats. You have to tell me about growing up on a farm in Connecticut. Tell me about it.
0: Well, so my grandparents were immigrants from Poland. They worked in a slaughterhouse in Chicopee, Massachusetts, after they came to this country. They saved their money, and they bought a beautiful farm, about 100 acres, in Middletown, uh, where I grew up. And uh, they had uh, dairy cows. They had all kinds of uh, fruit and vegetables. Their big crops were potatoes and cabbage wow. uh, for a little while, but this was before I was born. They grew shade tobacco, uh, mm-hmm. but then they switched to uh, dairy and fruits and vegetables. Um, and uh, we grew up, my my siblings and I grew up picking potatoes, which is the hardest job because you have um, baskets that hold uh, 40 pounds of potatoes and you pick them starting early in the morning we had 40 acres of potatoes planted so you start picking them really early in the morning um, in the summer you know 8 o'clock in the morning and you, go, and you pick until it gets dark so um, wow. it's a very labor intensive uh, hard uh, job to do and, uh, but my siblings, that's how my siblings and I, uh, learned how to work hard from, from my dad and, and the relatives that worked on our farm.
2: That is such a beautiful story. You know, I come from farming in Connecticut
0: with ah, a similar, where are you with,
2: from? I'll tell you my father's side of the family. My grandma, Helen was brought here from Lithuania when she was, uh, 12 or 13 years old she was born in 1899 so she came here in 1912 and she came to Uncasville, in the new london wow. area you know Uncasville, mm-hmm. where they know oh, yes Uncasville is right. part of Montville. norwich mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and they my tante bessie and all of my aunts in the goldblatt family so if any goldblatt is listening you're related to me uh, they all came over here, and they, the first cousins married each other. That's why I say any goldblad is related to me. And yeah. anyway, my grandma, <laughs> it's true, and my grandma Helen, from the age of 12 on, lived on a farm, and all of her brothers and sisters had this farm, this big farm, which over time got sold off, you know, became a shopping center or this or that over time. But when I was very, very little, very little, I, I, was, I went to the farm in Uncasville, and I remember that very well. It was beautiful wonderful.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And in eastern Connecticut, um, there are still dairy farms, but uh, there are still a lot of chicken farms. Chickens. That's what they
2: did. Chickens. I remember it was chickens. A lot of, and of course, vegetables and fruits and dogs and cats. And it was a farm, but a lot of chickens. I remember that. Yeah. That's That's, still very beautiful.
0: it's It's a great way to grow up because you appreciate what farmers do. You appreciate uh, having fresh food that comes right out of your garden. My dad's garden was five acres, you know, so um, wow. We, we had such uh, a wonderful um, childhood that all revolved around uh, the seasonal fruits and vegetables. Like for instance, June was for strawberries. July was for blueberries. August was for raspberries. Oh. So, um, uh, Then you start with apples in the fall and grapes in October. It just kept going. It was great. It is great.
2: It is great. How many farms do we, we're chatting with Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowitz? how many farms do we still have more or less, or how many people in agriculture? Do you have any idea? So
0: we have, we have hundreds of farms in Connecticut and uh, farms in Connecticut are responsible for $4 billion of economic activity and, over 20,000. Uh, and I had the great pleasure of visiting all kinds of farms with our agricultural commissioner, uh, Brian Hurlburt. I have visited uh, apple orchards, dairy farms, uh, wineries where they grow their own grapes, craft breweries where they grow their own hops. I have visited um, hemp farms, you name it. Um, And uh, they are really important. They're an important part of our economy. Uh, And I think particularly after the pandemic and during the pandemic, people started to really appreciate uh, the uh, wonderful ability to be able to visit a farm in your area and buy fresh food and support the local economy and uh, I have to say, I'm looking forward to visiting Jones Farm later Yeah, this me month. too. It's totally. Yeah. Love their wine. Love their strawberries and fruit.
2: Yeah, we love their pumpkins, and and we do the you know the the, the fall thing we do at Jones Street Farm. It's so wonderful to be there. Love it. Love it. Um, you're a little bit crackly. We're chatting with Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysiewicz. I don't know if there's a way to improve the connection, but every now and then.
0: Yeah, I- I put my my earphones on to see if that would help, and I apologize about that. Sorry about that. We're doing
2: the best we can. And where do you make your home? Are you still in the Middletown area?
0: I still am in Middletown. I have lived here uh, all my life, and I live in the part of Middletown uh, that touches Durham. So I I live in a very rural part of the state.
2: So nice. So let me ask you this. Let me make the pitch for you that I make virtually every single day on, on the show, which is excluding commercial agriculture. And I just want to say that, excluding commercial agriculture. Why isn't there, why don't we have a way for the state of Connecticut to allow our municipalities, if they choose to, to be able to ban pesticides within our local communities? because right now we can't, I've been told this again and again, the state of Connecticut has a law that basically says that they, that their policy supersedes and overrules any attempt by a local municipality to try and get rid of pesticides. And you know that our local towns very often are incubators for larger ideas. Like when Westport got rid of plastic bags, it took a long time when everybody else decided to take notice. But if there are local communities that want to be a little bit more aggressive, about banning pesticides, they can't do it. They're not allowed. And I'm talking about excluding commercial agriculture, which may have its own reasons why it needs pesticides. But for the average person who's throwing so much pollution that goes into our waterways on their lawns just to have another pretty blade of glass a blade of grass, it may be that some local communities want to say, you know what, we want to limit them or we want to have only organic pesticides. And I just want to know if you have a position on this or what you think about this, Lieutenant Governor.
0: So, well, first of all, you have hit uh, a nerve with me because I try to support organic farms. And my husband and I grow vegetables in our backyard uh, and fruit organically. Um, And uh, I feel very strongly that we should try to reduce pesticides as much as possible, particularly um, around children. So I would love to see municipalities, and some of them have moved in this direction, um, stopping the use of pesticides or using organic ones on sports fields. And this issue I think is really important because it's also responsible for killing bees. Yes. Um, yes. and that is not helping farmers and agriculture. Um, and I think some municipalities are are leading, they're just their schools are just deciding to move in the organic direction or to stop using pesticides. And I will tell you, we have the same kind of debate with the crumb rubber that was put into a lot of um, school tracks and playgrounds. Um, And it turned out that this crumb rubber was very toxic to children. And so now there's a ban on crumb rubber. And I'm glad you raised this. And I'm going to be speaking with Senator Christine Cohen. She represents the towns of Guilford and Brantford and Madison. And she's very, she's a passionate environmentalist. And she has um, banned, she's been successful in phasing out using PFAS chemicals, those mm-hmm. forever chemicals that yep. were used by firefighters and others and cause cancer in a lot of firefighters. Yeah. Um, and uh, I will speak to her about addressing this issue because I know this has been on her list. She's I know she's attempted to ban the use of certain chemicals that are on. that are used on golf courses. Right. For the same reasons that you talked about that. Right. The runoff goes into our waterways. It does.
2: Toxic. It affects yes. all of us. And, you know, at mm-hmm. some point. There has to be a societal decision of a trade off between something looking green and pretty and something that's considered a desert for any other kind of wildlife. And based on the education that I'm getting from people in Aspatuck Land Trust and other, you know, very intelligent people from Savetry and other places, you know, they tell me that those old fashioned, you know, where every blade of grass stands looking by itself like a soldier is really a desert for other kinds of insects and wildlife. And we should not be encouraging that. And we should be able to make, as local communities, decisions about that. That's what I'm asking for, a little bit more local control. Because it's true, you're right, Susan Beisowitz, that some towns are saying we're not going to use Roundup anymore, we're not going to use it on our fields anymore. But they are telling me, leaders, that they are powerless to make local ordinances over private property. And it may be that there may never be a vote in an RTM and it may never come to pass. And that's democracy. But they feel that they don't even have the opportunity to put it in front of the people.
0: But also, yes, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Roundup because um, there are uh, people uh, like Tara Cook-Lipman, who has been, She's our been on mission. our show many times, many times. She Tara yes. Tara's fabulous. And Tara has been working with uh, Senator Cohen, whom I mentioned earlier, and a lot of municipalities, because parents like and, and advocates like Tara have stepped up and said, stop using Roundup mm-hmm. on our municipal. And so, Um, The municipalities, school systems lead by example, uh, because I think a lot of people just aren't aware uh, of how toxic Roundup is and uh, what can be done. And when you just have people voluntarily stepping forward and saying we're not going to use that anymore, I think that is a start. Just as you mentioned, Westport led the way uh, as a town for the plastic bag ban which mm. finally is law.
2: Right. Right. So that's why that's my plea. Um we've run out of time this time, but I do hope you'll come back on the show. We're chatting with Lieutenant Governor Susan Bisowitz, I would love. And it's been really a pleasure to get to see you recently and get to know you. And I thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowitz on the Lisa Wexler show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We are expecting to chat with my sister Jill Zaren of the ultimate girl's trip, former original Real Housewife of New York City. Any moment, she should be calling in, 203-333-9422. In a couple of headlines, you may have missed that, speaking of agriculture, which we were just talking about with Lieutenant Governor Susan the Ukrainian foreign minister told foreign ministers at the G20 summit that Russia has embarked on a well-thought and cynical strategy to destroy Ukraine's agriculture. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Eastern Europe, by the way. I mean, it is quite literally the breadbasket. And there there are possible famines and episodes of food shortages that are expected throughout Africa and parts of Europe as a result of this devastating campaign to destroy agriculture. The quote is that the Russian naval blockade of Ukrainian ports has already shredded global chains of food supply and has a detrimental effect on global food security Adding insult to injury, Russia is stealing Ukrainian grain and bombing Ukrainian granaries. They are playing Hunger Games with the world. And in the meantime, Secretary of State Antony Blinken called out Russia for blocking Ukrainian grain exports in a closed-door session at the Group of 20 meeting, to which he said to our Russian colleagues, Ukraine is not your country. Its grain is not your grain. Why are you blocking the ports? You should let the grain out. Uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was not in the room during the remarks. He walked out of both sessions as soon as his Western counterparts began to speak. And in the meantime, Senators Lindsey Graham and Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut met with Zelensky in Kiev yesterday to push for legislation to classify Russia as a, quote, state sponsor of terrorism. That would make Russia the fifth addition to the United States list of state sponsors of terrorism, joining North Korea, Iran, Syria, and Cuba. Uh, Zelensky says, we feel this unity. In the meantime, NASA issued a rare condemnation of the Russian Space Agency, which is its main partner on the International Space Station, after its cosmonauts celebrated Russia's capture of a region of eastern Ukraine. It's very unusual for NASA to get involved in these kinds of geopolitics internationally but they said it strongly rebukes using the International Space Station for political purposes to support war against Ukraine, which is fundamentally inconsistent with the station's primary function among the 15 international participating countries to advance science and develop technology for peaceful purposes. In the meantime, in an interview with CNN, President Zelensky said that Ukraine is unwilling to cede any land to Russia. They say that, a concession of ceding Ukrainian territory will not be part of any diplomatic negotiations to end the war. Putin issued a warning to the West in Ukraine, saying the war might drag on until quote the last Ukrainian is left standing with a lot of bluster and a lot of you know bravado uh, but uh, russia 's defense ministry said in a briefing yesterday that Russian forces had destroyed two British supplied harpoon anti ship missile systems in the Odessa region overnight. But in the meantime, we are also hearing that Russia is admitting that it is, quote, taking a pause in order to resupply the Russian military advances in Ukraine. So the truth of the matter is that innocent people are dying in Ukraine every single day. Uh, It is to some extent a war of attrition. Uh, It is a war right now, very fiercely fought of independence for freedom and for liberty. The United States is supplying enormous amounts of money, which is helping them buy weapons and artillery and everything else to be able to fight back against Russia. But there's one thing we know about Russia when it gets involved in wars. And anybody who studies history knows exactly what I'm going to say now. Russia is never in it for the short term. Russia digs deep, digs hard, and digs down. Now, the stories about Russia that we normally think about are World War I and World War II, where Russia was essentially defending itself, particularly in World War II, against the German army. And no matter how much more advances at the beginning Germany thought it had against Russia, there was no way they were going to ever beat Mother Russia on its own turf. And in fact, they didn't. That's where they lost. They lost by going into Russia in the Eastern Front. Uh, and they couldn't they couldn't sustain the war the Nazis because the Russians know how to defend themselves. In this particular war, it's brother fighting against brother. A lot of the Ukrainians, you know, are native Russian speakers, and while they have their own country, they have more in common with Russia than they do probably with any other country in the world. So, in this particular case between Russia and Ukraine, they know each other well. They know the enemy. They're fighting well, and I think that Ukrainians like Russians are in it. For the long haul, they're going to dig in. So anybody who thought this would be over in a day or two is just wrong. It's just wrong. And unfortunately, I mean, Putin is reported to be very sick, but who knows how true that is. In the meantime, he's still alive. But the guy that's coming up right behind him is reportedly just as viciously anti-Ukraine as Putin is. So we'll see what happens. But I just wanted to give you the update on that because we haven't spoken about that in a while. 203-333-9422. You know, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an issue that has been something that, as you can tell if you listen to the show, has been bothering me quite a bit. And it's the issue about the fact that now that we've legalized marijuana, uh, those of us who don't smoke it have to experience the secondhand smell of it pretty much wherever we go. And the law in Connecticut, I think, is woefully... Um, not well thought out. You know, I need to have, you know, I need to have Lieutenant Governor and the Governor back on Susan Bison to talk about this too. I need to book her again to talk about this. Because here's the thing with our beaches. It's very clear in the state law that you can't smoke pot on state beaches. So whether or not, or to what extent that'll be enforced, at least people know what the law is. But in making this grand law about recreational marijuana, they decided that they would cede local control to our towns and communities over whether or not you could smoke pot in public spaces, and in public areas of local communities. And I know personally that there has been some rumbling in my own town of Westport uh, that the local government hasn't gotten together to make rules about where marijuana should be able to be smoked. Now, maybe that's because this is brand new, and the RTM in Westport just met for the first time in person literally this week, So they have a lot of things to catch up on. But the reality is that all of our towns and communities are going to have to think about, do they want to allow pot smoking on their own beaches if they have them, in their own parks if they have them, on their own school grounds? Are there places where we want to ban the smoking of marijuana because anybody who does any research knows that, you know, THC is a psychoactive substance. Secondhand smoke is not only unpleasant for some people but could have some deleterious effects. There is a story out today in the Connecticut Examiner, which I must bring to your attention. And this has to do with Stamford, Connecticut, and Harbor Point, which is a very ritzy, ritzy, watsy community of high-rise apartment buildings. And the headline is Legal Marijuana and Secondhand Smoke, Pit Neighbor Versus Neighbor. And it's a story about a baby, a little baby, an infant, in a parent's home that has been exposed to what the parents describe as suffusing, in other words, hugely intrusive marijuana, permeating the family apartment from a neighboring apartment. According to the Kinetic Examiner, the heavy smell came repeatedly at all times of day, the baby's mother said, sometimes in the middle of the night. She had to take the baby to a common area down the hall while her, tried to, while her husband tried to clear the smell using two HEPA filters and the air conditioner. She said sometimes the smell was so dense that her own head pounded and she felt nauseous, and she would leave the building with the baby to go stay with a friend. This was back in November. Eight months later, it's still happening. She lives in the 22-story Allure building on Pacific Street. And she said, quote, I'll be getting ready to put the baby down for a nap and the apartment will become engulfed in marijuana smoke. She prefers to remain anonymous, although she told her story to the Connecticut Examiner, because she doesn't want to be involved in a name-to-name calling with her pot-smoking neighbor. But she said, you love this baby more than anything on the planet. You're paying close to $5,000 a month to live in this building and you have to deal with this. So who owns the building? building and land technology? Now, they, of course, are the developer that is building the massive Harbor Point apartment project on Stanford South End. They are also the same developer that's behind the North 7 development that's going on uh, right near the Merritt 7 office complex, right near exit 40 off the Merritt Turnpike. Managers for BLT, which owns and manages Allure, sent out policy reminders reminding residents that, quote, our property is a non-smoking environment. And they claim that all residents have already signed a smoke-free agreement saying that anyone that doesn't abide by our policies is subject to a lease violation. According to the woman, a law manager did knock on the pot smoker's door more than once asking him to stop, but he hasn't stopped. And the marijuana odor keeps coming. And then she said, and this is what this woman is reporting, someone from BLT called us and said, quote, there's nothing we can do about it. Now, if the landlord says there's nothing we can do about it, what are we supposed to do? So she called the Stanford police and then the Stanford police told her, quote, the officer was very nice, but he said there was nothing he could do because marijuana is legal now. And the woman said, I told him about my baby. And he said he was sorry, but it's a building issue and management is supposed to take care of it. So then they called the Stanford Health Department. And the Stanford Health Department said, I'm sorry, we don't have jurisdiction because this isn't regulated by the housing authority because the law is a quote, private building. So can you imagine this woman between a rock and a hard place? She's in her home. She wants to stay in her home. She pays a lot of rent for her home. The neighbor signed a non-smoking agreement but he's not abiding by it. And the landlord is not moving to evict him. The landlord is not moving to enforce the non-smoking requirement. The landlord has given up and said, well, our hands are tied. Uh, This week, the couple found a note tucked in their door. Listen to this, the chutzpah. It says, we are harassing management. So we are in some kind of violation. The person smoking is in violation of the lease, not us, I don't understand. Such a document is called a Kappa notice. The Kappa notice happens, according to an attorney quoted in this article, before initiating eviction proceedings. So in other words, what's happening is they want to evict her for complaining about the pot smoking next door. Are we living in a crazy world right now? Do you understand what I'm saying? The lawyer says, I've never heard of a Kappa notice being written about a tenant who was complaining about other tenant violations. By sending a Kappa notice, the landlord is taking a really hard stance. Now this is BLT that wants to be approved in Norwalk to build between five and, what is it? Five and 10, uh, very big high rises, some of which may be as high as 15 stories high. This is the same building company that pretty much has taken a stake throughout a lot of Stanford. And they are moving to evict that neighbor. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they should be evicting the other neighbor. And just so you know, as the article says, marijuana smoke contains many of the same cancer-causing chemicals found in tobacco smoke, some in higher amounts. It also contains THC, the compound that creates the high feeling. THC can be passed to infants and children through secondhand marijuana smoke. According to the CDC, children are potentially at risk for negative health effects that require more research. 203 333 We'll be right back with my sister Jill Zarin. Stay tuned.
1: I think Brandy can take it back a notch. Brandy doesn't like being confronted, and she has no problem sticking up for herself. Me, I turn tail and run out the door.
2: That's my beautiful sister, Jill Zarin, one of the original Real Households of New York City, who joins us now. We're taking a little bit of a recap on what's happening as the episodes drop on Peacock which is NBC's streaming affiliate, 2033339422 is our number. Jill Zarin, hello, sweetheart. Where am I finding you today? Welcome. Sorry
1: I was late. Um, I am in the Hamptons. Ah. I am still working on my renovation a year and a half later. It's a little tiny townhouse, and it's very hard to get people to come and do the work. It's just impossible. So we're almost done. I'm going to see you next weekend. I'm finally going to see the place in Sag Harbor. I'm excited. You are. I'm doing my big charity event in honor of my late husband, Bobby Zarin, for thyroid cancer. So I'm very excited to, you know, be doing that. And um, it's been a long time pandemic yeah. and everything you know it's been a long time but it's going to be the best one yet we have over like 50 vendors coming to set up and they gift everybody who comes to the event things and it's mm-hmm. really very special and we ha- actually have tickets available to the public on charity buzz because it is a private event it's friends and family because there's so much gifting you know we gift five thousand dollars <laughs> in the gift bag right with the product it's so um, yeah. yeah it's unbelievable and where is it but, by so, the way
2: Oh, it's going to be,
1: it's in Southampton um, at the Historical Society. Nice. And we tented Mm -hmm. it. It's going to be beautiful. You know, you know how we do it. I know it's not going to be in my house where it used to be, but that's okay. New location.
2: It'll be beautiful. It'll be beautiful. So how does it feel seeing yourself on TV again every week? It's been a while. Oh, not good. Not Not
1: good. good. (laughs) You know, we talked about this last night. Not good. (laughs) Mama needs a facelift. Oh, yeah. It's literally falling on the floor. I can't believe it. In person, I don't see it. You know, I don't. See, see I mean, it. I actually, I'm starting to see it in person, but not nearly as much as the camera saw it clearly a year ago. Cameras are very cruel. They are very, very cruel. mean, They're very mean and cruel. Mean.
2: They are. I know. Yeah. Well, how many? How many of the other ladies that you think around the table have already done a little bit of nip and tuck? What do you think?
1: Um, not as many as you would think, actually. Okay. And we had a young crew, so okay. I don't think maybe one or two. Okay. Oh, definitely Vicky. I mean, she did it on the show, so Vicky definitely did. Vicky looks think, great. Um, she had a facelift. The, the she she looks, looks marvelous. I think she had too. Vicky, I'm sorry if I say that and it's not true, but I think she had two. She looks um, great. I think some people do a little bit here and a little bit there. And, well, whoever you know, did her gave her neck- a
2: very whoever did her gave her a very not non-California
1: well. look, which I mean is a compliment. Yeah. She, no, no, no. Absolutely, absolutely, she looks her best ever, really. Um, and I think um, I think boobs have been done. Tamara's done that, and I think. I definitely think Brandy's done some stuff and Taylor. So maybe okay. four out of the seven or eight, four okay. out of the eight. Yeah. All right. Half.
2: So when you watch it now, and I assume that you are watching this, this is the ultimate girl's trip. These are This is a, a series that was designed by Bravo to bring together women from different of the franchises of The Real Housewives. Some of you knew each other because you just did, and some of you didn't know each other. And when you look back over the filming, which took place last
1: fall – Do you remember everything that you're now seeing on camera? Definitely not. And not only do I not remember, I would swear on a Bible it didn't happen, but I I didn't see a lot of things going on, um, you know, around me, obviously, because if I'm here, like if I knew that, um, and it's hard for people who haven't watched the show, so I don't want to talk too much in detail because it'll, you know, bore people. But um, there was one scene where I was getting my, um, you know, I was getting ripped apart by my fellow castmate, Dorinda, Uh, In the other room, Brandy and Tamara were like, you know, what do they call it, like uh, naked-waisted or something with an expression? Like they were having the best time. They were running around in their pajamas. They were drunk. They were happy. I should have been in that room because I saw it on the TV show. I had no idea that was going on in the kitchen. I see.
2: What's with all the drinking, Jill? There's a tremendous amount of
1: alcohol going on. You know, the show does not give it to us. They really don't, Lisa. They don't. I mean, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the girls or men or whatever the show is lifestyle. It's whatever they're, you know, they're really following that story.
2: Oh, I don't, I don't assume that Bravo is giving you the liquor.
1: I'm saying what's going
2: on with women of a certain age drinking so much. What is that?
1: Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, you're talking to someone who doesn't drink, so I don't have that answer at all. I don't know. I don't drink. So I couldn't even possibly answer that question. And, and I think that I, what, what surprises me is that if I saw myself on TV, like Dorinda did in the last season of The Housewives she was on in New York, and she keeps, you know, one thing that bothers me, that puts me and it, it's Brandy and the other girls, is that Dorinda kept on saying she was on pause and we were all fired, as if she was better than us. Mm. And I thought about it, and I laughed because I said, you were put on pause because you had a drinking issue. Or an um, ad- they didn't say drinking. They said she had an anger issue, that the fans were upset that she was so angry, that wow. they loved her, but she was so angry. So mm-hmm. you would think she would uh, – if she wants to come back on the show, which she has said, she's dying to come back on the show. So she keeps calling me thirsty, by the way, which is hysterical because I'm the least thirsty person you'll meet. I'm ambitious. I'm driven. I'm hungry. But thirsty, not so much. Interesting. Um, uh, for, you know, that's not protest too much. Uh, What surprised me is that she didn't, you know, grow at all during the, the last two or three years and come back, you know, the old Dorinda that everybody loved, including myself, who was the fun, loving, sweet, everything. That's who I met years ago. And that's who I keep trying to find, you know. And then what I find is this, like, monster. You know, who's completely out of control. And and if I was watching her myself on TV that looked like that slurring and, and falling down and can't stand up, I would like not only be embarrassed, I check myself in somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what to say. I know all the girls on the show of New York have said it to her, have said it to Bravo. But, you know, it is what it is. It made for a great TV. It made for a great show. But oh, he was sad. definitely a
2: watchable show. I definitely we, thought excited, last night's excited. episode was the most watchable of all of them so far. For but sure. But that's
1: why I didn't go hard on her. Hmm. Didn't you notice? I did. I said, listen, I said, I don't know. you talk to me like that. I know. You know, don't talk to me like that. That was the, that was the most severe I got. And listen, right. you and I both know I've got a mouth my, from my mother, from my cousin. You know, we all have a mouth. Mm-hmm. But I can't use it against someone who can't fight back. And I felt that she was not in a condition to fight back a fair fight because that that drinking thing is not a fair fight. It's me to her. In other words, I could decimate her. I'm not going to do it. I felt sorry for her in that moment. I wanted to help her
2: because that's my nature. Right. Well, I'm, so. I'm remembering I'm remembering we're chatting with my sister, Jill Zarin, that you're that what you say is at one point you apologize because she's she's hung up on something. It's an issue. You have to watch the show to see. And so you apologize, and then you say to the camera, "You know, when someone is drinking, I'll just say whatever it is to disengage. They want an apology, great. I mean, because I just want to disengage. Because I'll do anything.
1: I just you want
2: to have a good time. Leave me alone. Well, because you can't really engage when someone has that altered no. state of consciousness. There, you just there's no engaging with them. You have to detach. Have so to.
1: I, sh- so I was a little, I was a little mad at myself when I saw. I, I don't remember doing that, by the way. I like so I that you about, said. Do you that. Remember? Oh, I like I that you said. Myself, that. Am I weak? Did I just, no. like, everything I said, which is leave me alone, blah, 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 and now I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, I disrespected you in your house, blah, 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 um, and move on. Because all I wanted to do was have fun that night. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't the kind of show, it wasn't supposed to be this, like, hardcore, you know, housewives drama kind of show. It was supposed to be a light and fun, you know, show for, for the viewers to get to see us again after all these years and catch up with us. You know what I mean? Yes. So it was just getting so dark. Yeah, And I it was. had to get out of that place at any cost.
2: Yeah, I understand that. I mean, a lot of the women were saying that. So one night, there was sort of a night of of over-drinking. And then the next day, you're at noon, and you're going to a bar, and you're drinking in the middle of the day. And all these women are quoted as being saying, well, what I really need is a shot of vodka in the middle of the day. Like, why? It was
1: like 11.30 in the
2: morning, or 12. Yeah, it was very early. It's weird.
1: You know, and and by the way, you know, that was uh, on the itinerary to go there. And, you know, Dorinda could have just said, um, you know, I don't think it's appropriate for us to go at 12 o'clock. Can we do that at 4 o'clock? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So um, uh, it's it was just strange. That whole scene was strange to me. Then we were eating in, in a in – a, um, we were alley. eating lunch. Yeah. in the back alley, and it was disgusting. It wasn't even lunch. They put out some cheese and prosciutto and called it lunch. Ugh. It was disgusting. Yeah. And that's why I was starving all the time. And the funny thing is, right. in the show, <laughs> my boyfriend Gary sends me these gorgeous roses Dude. because mm-hmm. I had been crying the night before, hysterical. And he put an apple on it, which I thought Aww. was funny because Brandy said, you see, Jill, you're so hungry or thirsty. He has an apple. So oh, no, no, now you got your apple back. Apple you know, back. it was very cute. Yeah, um, was. That night, because I didn't eat dinner because of all the fighting, because I couldn't eat because they took my food away. They brought it and then they took it away. It was not oh. there after the fight. So, so Jill, is home, there another it. episode
2: coming up next Wednesday, next, next Thursday? Th-
1: next Thursday. It drops around, you know, eight in the morning or something. So you can Thank watch you it at so any time. But you can catch up.
2: Yep. All right. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. I love you. My sister, Bye. Jill Zarin. We'll be back for the next hour. Stay tuned.